Today, as the last part of the instructions, we'll include the awareness of intention in the mind as an object of mindfulness. Intention plays a critical role in understanding the relationship of the mind and body and in deepening the understanding of selflessness. As we pay attention to intention, we see that the body by itself doesn't move. A corpse doesn't go anyplace. The body moves as the result of this impulse in the mind, this volition. Intention is happening in every moment. But it's not always the predominant mental factor. So in our practice, we want to become aware of those moments of intention when they are playing a predominant role. For example, in those moments just before a movement happens. If you're paying careful attention to the process, at times you may become aware of what I call the about-to moment. It's that moment just before an action happens where you know you're about to move, and then the movement occurs. The intention in that about-to moment could be felt or experienced in several ways. Sometimes you might experience it as a particular thought in the mind, the thought to do something, which initiates the action. Sometimes it may not be a formulated thought, but rather experienced as an impulse, an energetic impulse, or a gathering up of the energy to initiate the move. Sometimes that's what's felt in the about-to moment. And sometimes you may experience it simply as the knowing that you're about to do something. You might not experience it as a thought, and perhaps not feel it as that energetic impulse, but somehow there's a knowing. It's very helpful both in the sitting, in the walking, in the moving about, to begin to pay attention to these moments of intention which initiate action. We begin to understand then the cause and effect relationship between mind and body. And this goes both ways. Sometimes an experience in the body conditions something in the mind. For example, you're feeling some discomfort in the body as a physical sensation. Because of the physical sensation, perhaps an aversion arises because of the body conditioning mind. Because of aversion, perhaps there's a desire to move. That's mind-conditioning mind. 
because of the desire to move, there's an intention to move. Again, mind conditioning mind. Because of the intention, the body moves. That's mind conditioning body. So we begin to see that everything we're calling self and I is really this chain of events, chain of conditioned experiences, cause and effect, without an enduring self behind any of it. So in this way, the awareness of intention fills in a very crucial link in this process of mind and body. It also helps to deepen our understanding of the selfless nature of the process, because even as we see that the breath comes and goes, and sensations come and go, and emotions, and the hindrances, and thoughts, we still might have the idea or the sense, well, I'm the one who's choosing to do things. That's where the I is, the one who's making all these different choices. With careful attention to intention, we begin to see that the intention itself is just another conditioned arising. It's arising out of causes and conditions. And that intention itself is not self, is not I. We begin to experience the intention without identifying with it, without creating the sense of self in that moment. The intentions are very quick, they're very subtle, there are an endless number of them throughout the day. And so as a way of entering into the realm of mindfulness, of intention, I think it's most helpful to start with the training of paying attention to the ones that are most obvious. For example, you're sitting, and if in the course of, a, of the sitting there's some change of posture that you want to make, see if you can be aware of that sequence which I mentioned, the discomfort, the aversion, or perhaps the wisdom factor is saying to move the desire to move, the intention to move. Notice that about to moment, just before the movement happens, it's that willing quality in the mind, willing the body to move, and then the movement. See if you can track it carefully. Start with those movements that are most predominant because those are the situations where the intention will be the most clear. If you happen to miss a few of them, never mind, because there'll be more coming. 
but just keep it in mind as an important part of the process to begin to explore. It really opens up a lot in terms of our understanding of ourselves, of this whole interconnected mind-body process. So do it with that sense of interest, investigation, When you become aware of the about-to moment, make, you can make the mental note, intending, intending, or about-to, whatever note, <coughs> to just capture the recognition that that's what's happening in that moment. When you hear the bell, simply be aware of the hearing, the sensation of the sound. Note the intention before any movement, intention to open the eyes, and then the sensation of the eyes opening. Note the seeing, the intention before any movement of the arms or legs and then the actual sensation of the movement
The awareness of intention refines the practice in several different ways. First, it really demands or requires a care in the way we move. The slowing down, of course, helps a lot in order to be able to catch the moment of intention. It's a way of sharpening the mindfulness. It also opens up the space in our practice and in our lives to bring wisdom to our choices. When we're not aware of intention before an action, then we find ourselves usually in the middle of the action before we know what we're quite doing. If we're aware of the intention just before the action begins, then in that moment of awareness, we can actually bring some wisdom to it. Is this something skillful? Is it unskillful? Do I want to do it? Don't I want to do it? It gives us that place of choice. It's the awareness of that moment of intention which allows us to see more clearly the motivations behind our actions. Intention is, could be seen as almost the mechanics of it. It's just the energy, the gathering of the energy to initiate the action. So that's ethically neutral. But associated with those intentions are the whole range of motivations that exist within us. It can be motivations of greed, of aversion, of <coughs> compassion, of kindness, of understanding. It's only when we begin to, in an exaggerated way we could say, to pause for a moment in that moment of intention, then we can connect, we have a chance to see, well, what is the motivation coloring this intention? And in that awareness, we can choose to cultivate the skillful ones, to let go of the unskillful. So it's a very powerful, it's a very powerful moment that moment before action. Not only in the meditation, but in our lives. And so the time you have here to practice the refinement of attention attention on this uh, really serves us well in our lives outside. Do you have any questions either about this or about other things in your practice? Intending to speak, speaking. Then let go. <laughs>
you know, it's all skillful means. And depending on what's happening in the mind at any particular time, one or another skillful means might be just right. So, for example, in the way you described, that trusting and letting go and simply settling back into the breath in that way seems to allow you to connect with the breath. Another scenario might be, either for you or others, you know, at other times, if you find that, yeah, you let go, but instead of settling into the breath, what we're letting go into is just a lot of wandering mind. So if that's what's happening, then a little more effort to hang on to the bucking bronco, that might serve in terms of stabilizing the attention. And it's a constant just adjustment to see what is, what is working, you know, what is helping. And so that's why with all the instructions, really understand them as skillful means. They're not absolute statements that this is how it's always going to be, because it's not. The question revolved about the self and dissolving the self in the metta meditation, especially with regard to sending it towards oneself or someone sending it to others. I think it's really helpful to understand, and we'll be talking more about this as the retreat goes on. In Buddhism, what's called the two truths, the relative truth, the relative level, conventional level, and more ultimate level. The relative level is our conventional understanding of self and other and individual and the way we relate to each other as individuals. And in that realm, we use the concept self and other. On the more ultimate level, we see that self is just a concept. The metta practice, as with all other concentration practices, really have to do with the conceptual level. And so it's using concepts like self and other in metta in a conscious and skillful way. So you're quite right in seeing that it's two different levels. We're not on the level of ultimate truth in doing the metta because we're, we're creating or we're using this concept, may I be happy and peaceful, may you be happy and peaceful. We're not, we're not saying... May the five aggregates be well and happy. <laughs> you know, we're not on that level with it. And so I would be very easy. I would just be very easy in using the conventional designation. Wouldn't worry too much about the building up of self. Uh, if you keep in mind that it is in the metta practice, 
we're entering into this relative level in which we live a lot. So it's not, this is the world we live in a good part of the time. So it's useful to learn how to live in the relative world with skillful, wholesome mind states, like metta, like compassion. It's quite interesting, I think, in the metta, when you're sending the loving-kindness to yourself, I found that we can approach that from two sides. We can be emphasizing the side that's sending it and that motivation of goodwill. You know, that, that there really is this motivation of wishing well, of friendliness, you know, of care, kindness for ourselves. And so, from this perspective, we're more on the side of the one wishing it and the motivation behind the wish. Another perspective is to be the one receiving it. You know, because we're really doing both. We're sending it to ourselves and we're also receiving it. And for some people, or for all of us at different times, as we're saying, may I be happy, may I be peaceful, whatever phrases you're using, you could give emphasis to that side which is letting the wish in. And so sometimes I just, this is an image which I sometimes use in the practice. I just imagine in, in either in it's quite an abstract way usually, just myself surrounded by beings and the beings are, are wishing, you know, be happy, be peaceful. So it's emphasizing that side of being there, open and receptive to the good wish, which for many of us is not that easy to do. You know, whether it's other people wishing us well or ourselves wishing us well, can we really let it in? You know, it creates a very kind of tender heart when we can soften and just allow ourselves to be the recipient of a good wish. So we get to practice from both sides. And that's why it's kind of interesting sending it towards oneself because you can practice from the sending side and practice from the receiving side. You can, you can sort of... What, whatever sense of self might arise in the metta you can then dissolve in the vipassana. Uh, <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, last question. The question was about who or what is deciding on which intention to follow, which not to follow. Sometimes it seems very clear, you know, when there's a clarity, this intention is wholesome, 
or unwholesome, and there's, there's a conscious, clear understanding, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm not going to do this, but sometimes, as the example mentioned, you know, the mind may be wandering, and we're just back on the breath, and there doesn't seem to be any conscious intention to come back to the breath. This is all happening very quickly. You know, the Buddha talked of 17 trillion mind moments in a... <laughs> So the intention is there. It's definitely there. But in many, in many situations, it's happening so quickly, we're not going to see it. That's why I suggest, really, in, in beginning to work with this as an object, start with the ones that are the most obvious. Because obviously it'll be, it'll be easier to do that, the intention before movement. Right, or before a major activity. You could be aware the intention before standing, before turning, before reaching. Even in the course of the day, if you limited this exercise to trying to be aware of intentions simply before turning and before reaching, just as a starting point, that would be a lot, because we turn and reach a lot in the various activities that we do. And then slowly you could add things. When the mind is really clear, there's amazing subtlety you know, that you can come to in terms of catching that moment of intention, perhaps even for bringing the mind back to the breath when it's been lost. You know, but it's, just, it's, it's happening very quickly, so the mind has to be really still to see it. Just one last piece of advice with intention. Give some attention to it because it's a very powerful piece in this puzzle of self and selflessness and how our behavior unfolds. But also don't drive yourselves crazy with it because they are very quick. There are very many of them. And so just come with a sense of interest and exploration and really care for looking, but when you notice that you're missing many more than you're seeing, that's fine, because that's probably how it will be. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.